Hello and good evening. You are listening to KSKQ 89.1 FM Ashland, Oregon and 94.1 FM Medford, Oregon and surrounding areas of the Rogue Valley. And this is a little show that we like to call Dream Infringement. That's right. Dream Infringement is a super squad of three friends. Three friends who have a mutual love for community radio and decided to create our own community radio program. Like was mentioned before, that program is called Dream Infringement, where we pick a theme every week and we choose songs and stories to go along with that theme uh, in, in the best way that we can. And... And sometimes the way that we interpret the theme is a little abstract. Like, for instance, the theme might be French fries, but someone might uh, approach the concept of French fries by telling a funny story about a French fry experience that they had. Someone else might approach it and talk about what French fries mean symbolically to a person in this modern world that we live in symbolically yeah can you guess what this week's theme is well it's not french fries i can (laughs) guarantee that this week's theme is say what yeah that's the name of the theme but that doesn't really tell you exactly what the theme is so emily why don't you tell us what the meaning behind the theme name say what is This week, it's all about uh, common sayings that we have here. And so it's kind of like, say what? All about sayings. (laughs) Where they come from, what they mean. We love this kind of stuff. Our relationship to sayings. Yeah, exactly. So to kick things off, we're going to play the song More Than Words by a little band called extreme and we chose this song because really a saying is more than words there's so much more meaning behind just the words extreme more than words Jennifer, and I have a small selection of expressions that are based around sewing. So the first step was no strings attached, and it means the act of doing something without asking for anything in return. And in my mind, I always thought maybe it had something to do with like a marionette. Like, I will give you something, but you're, you, you still have free will. Like, I won't control you with with strings like you're a little puppet um that is not what it not what it refers to at all (laughs) the origin of it uh, is directly tied to 18th century fabric merchants who would mark flaws in woven cloth by tying small strings to the bottom of the bolts at the location where the flaws were present so when a tailor or dressmaker needed perfect cloth they would ask the merchant to provide them with fabric 
that had no strings attached. And it said the custom persists to this day. Uh, it has not persisted at the uh, places I get cloth from, but maybe at the more like high, like upscale places, or maybe just a different country, they still do that. Okay, the next phrase is to get down to brass tacks. Uh, which kind of means get to the real issue, deal with the task at hand. And the origin of this phrase also comes from the 1800s, but it's disputed. Some believe it alludes to the brass tacks used under fine upholstery. Some that it is a cockney rhyming slang for hard facts. So get down to hard facts, brass tacks. And the one that I'm familiar with and the one that I like is it alludes to the tax hammered into a sales counter to indicate precise measuring points. How I heard that one used is that sometimes the the owner would kind of be real quick with the fabric. So it was kind of like floating a little bit. So like it wasn't getting a precise like yard cut. They were, you know, kind of leaving some inches out by by doing it so quickly from like tack to tack. So the term in stitches, literally a, a stitch is a stab of pain. So it's like if someone stabbed you with a pin or a needle, that would hurt. <laughs> and it is comparable with like a stitch in your side from overexertion during exercise or when you're laughing so hard that your muscles start to hurt. So those two things became synonymous with each other. Like this feels like a needle stabbing me when I overexercise. Um, Shakespeare kind of originated it to mean laughter. Uh, back in 1601 in the play The Twelfth Night, he wrote, if you desire the spleen and will laugh yourself into stitches, follow me. And then the next reference in print after that dates into 1914. Um, in a review published in the Lowell Sun, which is talking about a comedian and says he has no difficulty whatever in keeping his audience in stitches of laughter and glee. So that's how that came about. Um, fit to be tied wasn't one I really thought about. Um, I knew it meant that like somebody was upset uh, but actually, the phrase first appears in the 1880s. It allegedly referred to patients in mental institutions who had uncontrollable outbursts that required being tied up with rope or cloth or some kind of restraint. So they weren't like fit, like tailored to be tied like with a tie or a cravat. No, they were fit to be tied down, which I did not realize any of that. I don't know if I'll use that anymore. If I do use it, it will be with intention. The more you know. The song that I picked for this is called Details in the Fabric by Jason Mraz. Hold your own, I know your name, I go your own way. Hold your all own. the details in the fabric, all name. the things that make you panic. Hey, Emily. Yes, Bobby. Uh, so I just, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and I was trying to explain to this friend of mine 
that's something that I do as a hobby. For instance, recording a radio show from home is not an easy task. In fact, it's a series of very intricate tasks that must be carried out in the right order in order for it to be successful. There's there's a lot of work that goes into it. And I just, I didn't, I spent a, a, a considerable amount of time explaining to this friend of mine that it wasn't easy, that it wasn't a simple thing, that it didn't just happen on its own. And as I was explaining this to him and just wasting so much time doing this, I thought to myself, there's got to be an easier way to explain to him that this particular thing was not easy, like a phrase of some type. Preferably three words or less. It would have saved me so much time. It would have gotten the point across to my friend. And I would have also seemed quite witty if I had a phrase. Emily, can you think, possibly think, search your mind in the American language for a phrase that would replace... I'm sorry, but this is just a very complicated process that is not easy that I want to be able to get across to you is complicated. So, Emily, please help me out. Were you thinking of the phrase, well, I don't think people say this isn't a piece of cake. Oh. Do they? Well, I think the phrase you're searching for is piece of cake. Yeah, but you can use it in a negative way. And how? Use it for me right now. Uh, making this show isn't a piece of cake. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess you're right. Isn't a piece of cake. Yes, that's the phrase. <laughs> the phrase we're we're speaking of this evening. And as you probably know, using the phrase piece of cake, um, it is used to describe something that is very easy to complete. Uh, or the opposite. It's or it may be it isn't easy to complete. It isn't a piece of cake, or it is a piece of cake, depending on what you're doing. So the um idea of cake, which is a sweet baked good, being easy, originated sometime during the 1870s when cakes were handed out as prizes in cakewalks which were supposed to be easy competitions to win. And as for the origin of the idiom used a piece of cake, we can thank Ogden Nash for that because he was the first to use it in print when he wrote, her picture's in the papers now and life's a piece of cake. So that's, that's where that came from. And then that led me to looking up what a cakewalk was because my only um experience with a cakewalk was when Bobby and I were at Ray's in Phoenix years and years ago and we found ourselves uh in the middle of a game we didn't know we were playing I remember that? that yes 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 did they call that a cakewalk I think they called it a cakewalk and I remember our our oldest son who is 10 now was like 
really only like a, like a year old, a year and a half. So this yeah, is he was a little guy. There go. And so, okay, help me remember this correctly. Where they were like numbers on the floor or something. And we were just walking around the grocery store grabbing our snacks real quick. And they announced over the intercom, like, who who's nearest to number 22? And we didn't even know what was happening. But it was us. We were closest to that number. And guess what? We want a cake. Like a whole cake from the bakery of Ray's. Happiest moment of my life. I have a picture of it too. And honestly, that was a piece of cake because I didn't have to do anything. Didn't even know it was happening. So in my mind, that was what a cakewalk was because it was like, this is easy and it, it, it's they're calling it a cakewalk. We won cake. I, I don't know. But the internet has told me otherwise. Cakewalk well, cake is not that. Cake, apparently, a cakewalk came from uh, during when when the United States had slaves. And yeah, and the slaves would do a dance called a cakewalk. They would get together. It was usually the men and the judges were the slave owners. And so <clears throat> the slaves would would do this dance. What the slave owners didn't know is that sometimes the dancers were making a mockery of the judges who were the slave owners. That part was like over their head. And then whoever won the dance got a cake. So really? sorted, sorted history. Yeah. yeah. I think you will find that a lot of sayings out there uh, did not age well and originate with uh, really unfortunate beginnings. Yeah. So it's good to um, look things up every now and then and, you know, figure out like where it came from. Interestingly enough, the songs that were used during cakewalks were um, also like kind of the inspiration for like the ragtime sound that was started happening. And so that kind of all evolved. Um, anyway, here is a song by Taj Mahal. It's called Cakewalk Into Town. I had the blues so bad one time it put my face in a permanent frown now i'm feeling so much better i can cakewalk in the town I this is jennifer and i was going to explain a few expressions about colors that i had never looked up and never knew the true meaning of and i found it interesting like to know why we say what we say <laughs> that we've been saying for centuries. Uh, first up is red herring. Now I must admit something which is I hadn't thought of really hard about this phrase and in my mind I thought it was a bird you know the the lofty red herring takes flight. It's a fish uh, <laughs> and I feel kind of foolish like I should have should have known that but yeah it's a fish. So the red herring, the full expression is neither fish nor flesh nor good red herring. And it describes something that's deliberately misleading or diverting attention from the real issue. It's believed to come 
from the practice of dragging a smoked herring across the trail of a hunting dog to throw it off the scent of its prey. And this practice is documented as far back as the late 1600s in Nicholas Cox's The Sportsman Dictionary, or The Gentleman's Companion. But then there's another theory that has some evidence as well, which is that it was a trick played on one of his servants by the wealthy English clergyman Jasper Maine. He died in 1672, and he willed large sums of money for the rebuilding of St. Paul's Cathedral and to the poor people of his parishes. He also willed to a servant somewhat that would make him drunk after his death, which was left in a large trunk. So you can imagine the servant was super excited. Look at this giant trunk that's coming to me from a wealthy man who is just giving money to good causes. But when the trunk was open, the servant was disappointed to find out that it was salted herring. Jasper Maine's will does not mention the giving of a red herring, but a report of the event in Jacob's Poetical Register in 1719 does. So there's evidence based for both stories and no matter which account you find more believable they ended up coming to have a similar meaning so next up the proverbial saying every cloud has a silver lining is used to convey the notion that no matter how bad a situation is there is always some good aspect to it so john milton coined the phrase silver lining in his poem comus a mask presented at Ludlow Castle in 1634. And part of that poem says, I did not err, there does a sable cloud turn forth her silver lining on the night and casts a gleam over this tufted grove. So clouds and silver linings were referred to often in literature from then onward, usually citing Milton and, frequent, and frequently referring to them as Milton's clouds. So that was a pretty straightforward explanation. This guy wrote one heck of a poem and people have quoted it for the next 400 years. So I, that's, that's exciting for Milton. It, it would be his own silver lining. He may have, have departed back in the 1600s, but his, his poems, his poetry sayings live on. That's his silver lining. So the phrase, paint the town red, has come to mean someone that is engaging in a riotous spree. And there's one specific popular tale that dates back to 1837, when the Marquis of Waterford and his friends caused havoc in Melton Mowbray by painting some of the buildings red. The Marquis was known for hooliganism, quote unquote, and the event was well documented when they painted the town's toll bar and several buildings red. The Marquis is described as a reprobate and landowner. His misdeeds include fighting, stealing, being invited to leave Oxford University, breaking windows, upsetting apple carts, fighting duels, and last but not least, painting the heels of a parson's horse with aniseed and hunting him with bloodhounds. So he was quite the figure. But this tale does not have sufficient proof to be the definitive source, um, and there's no printed record of the phrase until almost 50 years later in 1883 in the United States, when it was first documented in New York, where sources link it to the red light district, excessive drinking, or flushed faces from alcohol. 
but could somebody from England have traveled to New York and brought the phrase with them and made it popular? I think it's possible. When you paint the town red, someone at one point literally painted a town red. That sounds like a lot of effort to be a hooligan, but I guess when you want to really make your mark in the world of hooliganism and shenanigans, then you put in the effort. And one last one, the term caught red-handed, which means to be caught in the act of committing a crime with the evidence there for all to see. It's a very straightforward allusion to having blood on one's hands after the execution of a murder or poaching. The term originates in Scotland, which dates back to 1432. The term of red hand appears in print many times in Scottish legal proceedings from the 15th century onward. Uh, for example, they have a quoted piece from Sir George Mackenzie's A Discourse Upon the Laws and Customs of Scotland in Matters Criminal from 1674, which says, If he be not taken red hand, the sheriff cannot proceed against him. It's one of those phrases where I always knew what it meant. I never thought more deeply about it, so it never clicked that you were caught like in the middle of some sort of violent crime. So for my song for this, I was going to play Red by Fiona Apple. But he's been pretty much yellow, and I've been kind of blue. But all I can see is red, 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 red now. What am I gonna do? My next phrase that I chose is cutting corners. To cut a corner means to do something by the easiest, fastest, cheapest method at the expense of doing it properly. Bobby, have you ever cut corners? Me? No way. Never. I have definitely cut corners. I feel like you're sometimes like the king of of cutting corners. Yeah. I hate to say it. It's it's unfortunate, but you know what? I mean, it's like that's the American way. Corners, right? Yep, it sure is. Only doing what I was taught. Um the origin of this of this phrase came from the physical act of going from point A to point B by the shortest possible route. There are multiple examples from the 1800s. Walking via an untried shortcut was cutting corners. Fox hunting parties on horseback, not following the dog pack directly to catch them up, were cutting corners. The expression also extended to carriages taking a corner too sharply so that the wheels mounted the curb. All of these situations had a common element of risk. A shortcut on foot might be dangerous. Horses might fall on, on unseen obstacles that the dog pack did not encounter on their own route. A carriage might break a wheel or axle or even overturn. The act of cutting corners spawned into another phrase, one that is typically used across North America, which is kitty corner. It describes a location of something, usually a building, being on the diagonally opposite corner of an intersection of streets. Um, but this term is not used in the UK, apparently. This article says that you'll get a blank look. 
So do not describe things as being kitty corner. Oh boy. In the UK. It could even offend them. Who, who's might. to know? Who's to know? Now, I am so painfully self-aware that I know when I'm cutting corners and I feel very guilty about it. It's a negative thing. It's not a positive thing because the, um, I hate when I can't think of words. It's like the idea behind it is that it's not going to end up well, but I have a story, personal story. What? About cutting corners. Uh Uh-huh. In a very, uh, in a very real sense. But it wasn't my fault. I'm listening. In middle school, we were running the mile. And there were these people, like kids who were watching. They called them like the PE aides or something. <sighs> anyway, and they were watching and they said, if you go outside of this route that we've prepared, um, then you have to, you get docked, I guess points i don't know time you have to do it again i can't remember and consequences will be had consequences will be had they won't be fun because it's pe and um you will be publicly shamed (laughs) at least i was anyway i was rounding the corner and they had these cones and uh, suddenly a group of uh, 'er ne'er-do-wells came up behind me and kind of pushed me into the into the cones Ooh. and i kind of hopped up on the curb outside of the cones and one of the pe aides yelled out you cut corner you cut the corner in front of everyone and i tried to defend myself and i was like i i was with the people and they came up behind me and they were like nope nope we have to do it again or start over. Oh, I can't remember what I had to do. I was so mortified. I was so embarrassed. The smallest amount of authority that a person has. Truly. It, they had like a clipboard and a whistle. That's it. Yeah. And they abused it. Clearly. To step on the little person. Yeah, me. I was not a good runner. I've never been a good runner. I don't like running. Yeah. And... But I certainly, more than I don't like running, I don't like cheating. Yeah, you were. I, I was like, I was pushed. I was pushed into the cones onto the curb. You were pushed into cutting corners. I was. Literally. <laughs> yeah, literally. I like that the the corner, the your story is like literally you cutting corners. The only the only story that would be even closer to cutting corners is if you were like working at a triangle factory. And I was cutting all the corners off. Which I don't know. But I feel like that's more literal and doesn't hold true to the actual saying because that seems like that would make your job harder if you were cutting corners off of triangles at a triangle factory, right? I know it was like. Well, you're making smaller triangles, I guess, with each corner, but then you're left with a, what is that called? Hexagon? I don't know. What is that? A... I'm not, I'm not, words are not coming to my mind. It's the, it's the one that looks like a house with a roof, with a pointy roof. That's what you would get. It's the one, a triangle? What are you talking about? If you cut the corners off of a, off of a triangle... You would be left with that shape that looks like a house 
with a with a pointy roof. But I cut the points off. Okay. Yes, that's true. So a square? It would be. Are we left with a square? It would be a square. I'm sorry. Clearly, I don't know my shapes. (laughs) Oh, boy. In no way have we been cutting corners to tell this story. You're getting the full experience. No cutting corners for us. No, I'm not even editing any of this out. I'm going to leave it all in. You can can hear our, our failures and our... Our uh, successes, our successes, our confusion over shapes. Yeah. All right. Well, we um take some time to regroup. Um, let's play a song for you. So, this song is "The Hard Way Home" by Brandy Carlisle because cutting corners just makes life harder. Yeah, and if the end of this story was home, we definitely took the hard way home. Not sure the, did. Not the easy way. We sure did. Okay, Hard Way Home by Brandy Carlisle. Ooh, follow my track. See all the times I should have turned back. Ooh, I wept alone. I know what it means to be on my own. Ooh, the things I've known. Looks like I'm taking the hard way home. Ooh, the seeds I've sown. The last saying for this evening is one of my favorites it always gives me a laugh when i use it and that is the phrase speak of the devil <laughs> um and that comes from medieval times when people were real superstitious they would never speak of the devil they didn't they they didn't want to because they felt that if someone spoke of the devil then he would appear. And so the proverb appears in England during Middle Ages as an admonition against the danger of uttering the name of the devil, Satan, or Lucifer. And another uh, phrase was talk of the devil is sometimes used instead of speak of the devil. Though They were both two phrases that were popular in the 1600s. Here's a little... A little um, Warning, it says, talk of the devil and he's presently at your elbow. Or the other one was, talk of the devil and see his horns. Oh boy. (laughs) So, it began as a superstitious warning and today it's just a comment on the coincidence of speaking about someone or something and then suddenly finding it at your elbow. So, that's that's a fun one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it doesn't get any closer than that. The elbow? It's pretty close. A little too close. Well, we're going to play you out with a song by Dave Matthews. It's called Some Devil. And before we we play that song, maybe we should say our goodbyes. I guess we have to end this. We can't just keep going like for hours and hours and hijack the uh, studio and not let anything else happen but dream infringement. Sadly, that's that's not an option. Yeah, I guess that's true. Our uh, station manager would have our heads, which is another saying that clearly is an exaggeration. Well, 
We really loved that we got to spend this evening with all of you listeners. Uh, hopefully we brought a little bit of a of some joy into your life, some enlightenment, and uh, some uh, maybe some other things that you were not expecting. Hopefully good things. Or maybe there were some not so good things, but you like you had to work through it. You you drew on your your internal skills of of reasoning and maybe you had some therapy and we said something that was a little triggering, but you like you worked through it. You're, now you're thanking us. And you're better listeners for it. And that's what our job is, is to make you better people. And for us to not change at all. But thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we will have another original episode of Dream Infringement coming at you in T minus six days and 23 hours. Uh, but until then, we would like to say have a good evening, and we love you. Yes, have a good week, everyone. We'll, we'll be here, same time, same place. Next week. Bye. Adios. Some devil, some angel has got me to the bone.